Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Uh, I don't know if you, you heard, but this past week, there was a windstorm in California's Yosemite National Park. It brought 100-mile-plus-hour winds um, there through the park. And those winds were responsible for toppling um, at least 15 of those famous sequoia trees that are there in the park. I was kind of thinking about that. I was looking at the pictures of those trees that had fallen. And some of those trees dated back 2,000 years and are some of the tallest living uh, things around. Some of them can, were as high as 285 feet tall. Uh, it's remarkable for us to think that those, those trees were actually saplings when Jesus walked the earth. Uh, just, just consider that. I mean, that, that's how old these things are. The sheer size of those trees, I've never seen them. That's one, of the, that's one on my bucket list is to go out and, and see the uh, redwoods and the sequoias there, but I've never actually seen them. But uh, I'm told uh, from a very reputable source called Wikipedia that they can reach up to 300 feet high. Their base can be as, as much as 25 feet in diameter. Some of the trees are so big that they've put tunnels in it where you can actually actually drive through these things. Guess how much water these things use to uh, tie into uh, Foster's kid's sermon here. Uh, a, a mature tree drinks as much as 800 gallons of water per day. Uh, you don't want one of those in your yard and have to turn the sprinklers on. What's incredible is that God has built these things with the ability to even draw moisture out of the air, uh, out of the fog, because it's so hard to get water from the roots to the top of the trees that the top of the trees can actually gain moisture, gain the water they need from, from the fog. You know, as we're talking about growth, it would seem that the largest living organisms on the planet probably could teach us a thing or two about what it means to grow. For example, the giant sequoia tree starts as a tiny seed, not even a quarter inch long. In prime conditions, meaning the water's right, the climate's right, these trees can grow as much as two to three feet per year. However, during seasons of drought, their growth may be limited to just a couple of inches per year. Another interesting thing about these trees is they really benefit from fire. You think fire in a forest is dangerous, but for these particular trees, fire is a, is a, is a remarkable thing. Their, their trunks are actually flame retardant. But the fire actually helps to open the cones, enabling the seeds to come out, which allows for the forest to continue to spread. Ultimately, there's some pretty important parallels between the way a sequoia grows and the way that, that we grow. You think about our Christian faith. Under ideal circumstances... Ideal situations, it's, it's easy to grow. But when those conditions are stifled, well, growth is much harder. And just like these giant trees, it probably would do all of us a little bit of good to be tested with fire from time to time. So as we continue into chapter 2 of Proverbs this morning, I want us to consider how we grow, how we grow in wisdom, and how we grow in our walk with the Lord. So as we look to Proverbs chapter 2 this morning, I would invite you to stand with me as we read all of chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, we'll be considering the entire chapter. Uh, 
My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity and every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the path of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perseverance of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman and the, uh, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. God, thank you for the wisdom of Proverbs. As we understand this morning what growth looks like, may we be a people who aren't content to be stagnant, but a group of people who are eager to grow in our wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, over the last couple of weeks, we have talked about this very important fact that wisdom is both a doorway and a pathway. Wisdom is both a doorway and a pathway. The doorway is open to us when we get our minds oriented in the right direction. Remember the condensed message of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But beginning implies that there is more to come. No one ever begins a race to stop at the starting line. No one ever hears the pistol fire and then takes one step and then freezes. That's not how a race begins. A race begins with an end in mind. You begin a race to continue the race. And so the Proverbs have told us how we begin the race. Proverbs calls it fearing the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear? We've talked about this. It doesn't mean that we hide in the closet every time that we hear him, although he is certainly powerful enough and, and there, is that, there is that sense of awe around him that if he were to expose his glory to us, we might not have any response but to go hide somewhere if we were to see the, the red-hot glory of God. But this fear that we are told here is, is not the kind of fear that we would experience if we are in danger. It's, this fear is a form of reverential awe and respect. And so fear means that we take seriously his expectations, that we take seriously his instructions. Fear means that we must acknowledge our own sinful situation in contrast with his holiness. Fearing the Lord means that we have to take action as a result of our predicament. Now, again, thanks to the gospel, we already know what that action is. Uh, here's the deal. You don't have to hate Jesus to get this wrong. 
You don't have to be a, a hostile, angry, outspoken enemy of God to get this wrong. Proverbs chapter 1 verse 32 says it simply, the complacency of fools destroys them. To get this wrong, all you have to do is be okay with where you are. You don't have to be a God hater. You don't have to shake your fist in his face. You just have to be okay with where you are. You know, one of the great challenges that we have in this nation is that we've got a whole lot of folks who, who think they're okay just like they are. And we've taught them that as long as you're behaving, as long as you're following the rules, as long as you're staying out of trouble, you're going to be just fine. As a result, listen, there are people literally around every corner who don't do drugs, who don't steal, who don't cheat on their spouses, who, who feel pretty good about themselves because relatively speaking, they're better than their neighbors. And that's how we evaluate right and wrong. And the fact of the matter is this, is they don't really fear the Lord because they don't really even think there's a reason to fear him, much less need him. However, when we open our Bibles, we can't help but be confronted with the fact that, that we know better. We know that there is deep rot in our soul. We know that that water inside of us is stagnant. We know that our best attempts at righteousness are simply like filthy rags, and we can dress it up all we want, but we all know that inside, each and every one of us, left to our own devices, the Bible says that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. That is the universal human condition. That is the universal human predicament. Every single human being on the face of the planet, deep down inside, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. It can be dressed up. They can behave. They can stay out of jail. They can do all the right things. But deep down, in the middle of their soul, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. And the only hope we have is Jesus. That's it. And so the only place we can turn begins here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you're sitting here in this room or you're at home today and you still haven't taken that step of faith to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity today because we understand that wisdom is a doorway. Wisdom is also a pathway. And if we get the gist of how to open the door, the question we then have to ask is how do we start making progress down the path? The, the, the shot's been fired. The race has begun. We have a destination in mind. How do we start putting one foot in front of the other to make progress down the path? Thankfully, Proverbs chapter 2 gives us the answer. So let's dig into this chapter here as we, as we understand how we grow. And the first thing we need to understand is this, growth is conditional. Growth is conditional. I understand that some people may hear that and it will rub them the wrong way. Because we don't like to hear things like conditional when it comes to our Christian faith. But notice I did not say that God's love is conditional. I said that growth is conditional. God's love is unconditional. God loves us as we are, but he loves us too much to let us stay that way. 
God's love is that agape love, that biblical kind of love that that doesn't have strings attached to it. He loves us on the basis of his character, not on the basis of anything that we have contributed. So his love is unconditional, but our growth in wisdom, our growth in Christ is very much conditional. Remember what I said about the growth of those giant sequoia trees? That's a conditional thing, right? And they grow based on conditions. If they get the right amount of moisture, if they get the right amount of sunlight, if the temperature's right, they grow, they respond to the conditions. If the conditions are not, are not good, they won't grow very much. The, the book here in Proverbs chapter 2 could not be more conditional. Listen to the words that are used. If you receive my words and treasure my commandments. You see, there's an if that begins this, and the force of that if carries over into verse 2. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures. There's a whole lot of ifs, and you, uh, you've read enough and you know enough to know that if you've got a whole lot of ifs, there's usually something that's about to come after it. Then, if, then. There's usually a then after a list of ifs, and Proverbs doesn't disappoint. If you do all of these things that have been spelled out for us in the first verses of Proverbs chapter 2, then the writer of Proverbs tells us that you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you do these things, then God will respond in such a way. But we need to understand growth doesn't happen without action. You see, the progression of the activity in verses 1 through 4 cannot be ignored. Verse 1 is somewhat passive. You receive it. Uh, it's, think about receiving a gift at Christmas time. You wake up on Christmas morning, you gather in the living room, and you receive gifts. There's not a lot of, of activity involved in receiving that gift. There's not a lot of commitment there to receive that gift at Christmas time. You just show up, right? and put forth just a little bit of effort and unwrap that gift and you receive it. Again, it's not a a tremendous amount of commitment. But by the time you get to verse 4, we're told that you are actively seeking like you're looking for treasure. Have you ever lost anything of great value? Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Heather and I were, were hiking up in, up in uh, the Smokies, about a six-mile round-trip hike. It was, a, it was a, good, a good morning for that. And as we were getting close to the end, she reached in her pockets and she realized that one of her gloves had fallen out at some point in time along the journey. And we weren't completely sure when it was. We knew we were getting close to the end. And so we decided that, that it really wasn't worth going back those six miles to try to find that lost glove. We just, you know, that was lost. What do you think our response would have been if, if oh, I don't know, my truck keys had fallen out somewhere along the journey or maybe my wallet had fallen out somewhere along the trip? At that point, we would have made a very different decision because this would have left us in the woods for an, uh, who knows how long. And, well, this would have left us without gas in the car on, on in the truck on the way home because there's no way to pay for it. So our decision to go back would have been very different because it would have been something we were willing to go search for. It would have been a, a treasure that we were willing, willing to go after. We would have quickly backtracked to try to find it, hopefully find it before somebody else did. But that glove wasn't, wasn't altogether deemed that important. 
It requires action. You see, if you're not investing in growth, you're not going to experience it. We see all the spiritual disciplines represented here. Receiving God's Word, making our ears attentive to it. That's how, we, that's how we handle the Scriptures, how we spend time in the Word. And it raises a question. Are you spending time in the Word of God? Are you reading your Bibles? Are you invested in the Word of God? And not only are you reading it, are you listening to what it says? You know, it's really easy to sit down and, and read through a, a, a chapter or a couple chapters of Scripture and not really pay attention to anything you've read. I can't read at night. Uh, it doesn't matter if it's uh, the Bible or, or fiction or whatever. If, you, if it's bedtime and you give me a book to read, I can flip pages, and then at some point in time, I will stop processing the words on the pages. I'm, 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 I'm reading them, but I am not listening to what those words say. It's simply, my, I'm not wired that way. I'm a morning person all day long. Are you listening, though, to what the Word of God says? Again, these aren't these aren't huge things to ask for. It's just pausing and, and listening and spending time in the Word. But, but then think about this, calling out for insight, raising your voice for understanding. Again, you see the discipline of the Word. Here you see the discipline of prayer. Again, not just praying through the sick list. We certainly want to do that. But this is asking God to grant your heart insight into the things of God. Again, there's nothing wrong with intercession, but this is the kind of prayer where we are asking God to show himself to us, where we are growing in our character, growing in our understanding, growing in our insight into the things of God. And then you see this idea of seeking and searching. Again, it adds a, a dimension of seriousness and perseverance to the matter. This is not casual. If you are seeking, if you are looking for something like you are searching for treasure, you are committed to this. If someone, if the previous owner of your home came to you and said, hey, when you bought this house, we, we, we buried a million dollars worth of golden coins in the backyard. You, know, you wouldn't just say, well, that's nice. You'd be out there with a metal detector night and day until you found it. You would be committed to it. It's not a casual thing. We need to understand the Christian faith is not a casual arrangement. This is not about meeting Jesus for coffee once in a blue moon. This is serious. He is not just a nice accessory to our wardrobe. He is our wardrobe. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15 says that we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Think about that. We are the aroma of Christ. You can't hide it. You know, it's, it's like spending a summer afternoon mowing the lawn. You couldn't hide the smell of freshly cut grass if you wanted to. I could be out mowing the grass and, and not even doing, like not getting even sweaty, just like a little bit. I walk in and my wife, sure as goodness, will look at me, you smell like grass. You smell like outside. You can't hide it. You can't cover it up. There's no way to mask that. No one will ever look at someone who's been mowing all day and say, what have you been doing today? You know, there's no covering that up. I wonder, how many people claim to be Christians, but they don't smell anything like Jesus? Secondly, the writer of Proverbs here tells us that God doesn't hide himself from the genuine seeker. When we talk about seekers, 
Uh, that word gets thrown around a lot in church today. Evangelicals are particularly concerned about seekers. I'm not talking about the, the seeker-sensitive church where they, you know, they take the, the cross down and they desensitize things to make it not offensive. I'm not talking about seekers in that regard. I'm talking about somebody who's a Christian who really wants to know the things of God. Someone who is seeking after God, who is pursuing God. I'm talking about someone who has opened the door, who has started down the pathway of wisdom. I'm talking about the person who is seeking for insight and understanding, who understands that they, it's like looking for treasure. I'm talking about the seeker who has caught a glimpse of the Lord like Psalm 34, 8, that, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. If you taste it and you know that it's good, you can't wait to have more of it. You know, remember we started out with the ifs, all the things that we should be doing. But what does God do in reply? Well, we've got the list of thens. He says, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity. You know, God isn't, God isn't playing hide and seek with us. God isn't playing hide-and-seek with us. What is remarkable about this God that we are called to pursue here and, and, and seek to understand is that God is ready. He is ready to give you everything you need to know about Him. But at the same time, you will never be able to mind the depths of all that there is to know about Him. He's ready to tell you everything you need to know to, to follow him, to worship him, to serve him, to know him. But at the same time, as you grow in your knowledge of him, you will learn that you will never mind the depths of all that there is to know about him. He is simultaneously the most available entity in existence, at the same time the most mysterious. He will never turn his back on you. He will never forsake you. He will always receive you. When that sinner cries out for mercy and says, Father, forgive me, he will receive you, but he will never, ever, ever turn his back on you. He is so available to us, yet we can't understand all there is to know about him. This, this God that we worship and serve, he will join you in the intimacy of your very own prayer closet. At the same time, he inhabits the throne over all creation. This, this God will dwell in your heart while he fixes galaxies in their place. You can seek him. You can find him. You can know him. And you will still only scratch the surface of all that he is. You see, this is why complacency is so dangerous for the writer of Proverbs. It's one of the big cautions in the whole book is about complacency. How can you be complacent when so much is offered to you? How can you be satisfied with how you are today when the offer of heaven is set in front of you? How can you be so satisfied with, with, with your condition today when perfect holiness and godliness is there available for us to, be, us to, to walk towards? How can you be complacent when so much is offered? How can you be content with the stuff of earth when God has placed a relationship with him so firmly within reach? You know, when you say it that way, it really, it seems that only a fool would turn down this offer. Which is exactly what Proverbs is trying to prevent. So what happens 
when we find this wisdom and understanding. When we enter the door of wisdom by our reverential fear of God, made manifest through repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus, we journey down the pathway of, of wisdom, utilizing the tools at our disposal that he's given to us. God makes himself known to us as we continue to grow in wisdom. Well, what are some of the immediate benefits of that? Well, Proverbs tells us that we can be protected in this life. We can be protected in this life. Now, this isn't a, a promise of, of nothing bad ever happening to us. That's not what we're talking about here when we talk about protection. Here we're given actually a couple of examples of how we are protected. First, we're told that we are protected from men of perverted speech. You say, man, I need to be prevented, protected from some of those guys. Uh, so this isn't just talking about guys with uh, four-letter words and they tell dirty jokes. That's not who we're talking about here. They certainly may be, but that's not the extent of what we're talking about here. The reality is, is, is that we live among a people, as Proverbs says here, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. I mean, we won't get away from that. We live among that. We work among that. that. That's our experience in the world. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5.10 that if you want to get away from that, you would have to go out of the world. You'd have to go somewhere where there aren't any people because you can't ever escape it. But just because we live and work and walk among those people doesn't mean that they have to influence us. You see, that's a fruit of wisdom. We are delivered from such folks. But you know what I found? I think you would agree. It's getting harder and harder to figure out exactly who the bad actors are. It's getting harder and harder to, to figure out who's, who's on our team and, and who's not, which is why we so desperately need wisdom. In verse 12, we see these men being described as, as men of, of perverted speech. Again, our, our English language there, we're, we're drawn to think that maybe they're talking about dirty jokes here. But, but the word here in the Hebrew means to deliberately confuse the conversation. To pervert speech is to deliberately make it hard to understand. These evil men that, that we're talking about here, they like to mix up the meaning of the words. Even taking good words and using them for bad. I, ha I heard one pastor say it this way, bad men use good words to smuggle in bad realities. And some people are fooled. You see, wisdom helps us to walk among these people and not be led astray. I don't know, you remember the old church covenant that used to hang up in the old churches there in the foyer when you walked in? It was in script there in that big frame right as you walked in. One of the lines in the old church covenant said that um, we as members of the church are to walk circumspectly in the world. I wish we still talked that way. Wisdom is exactly what helps us to do that. It helps us to walk circumspectly, to know what's going on, to know who's, who's in it, who's not. It helps us to be aware of what's taking place around us. So we are protected from evil men, we're, but we're also protected from moral failure. You see, Proverbs here in verse 16 through 19 has a particular kind of failure in mind. But principally speaking, wisdom helps to guard us against all kinds of temptations. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 is a verse you probably know. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What a remarkable promise. Anybody ever been tempted before? 
Yeah, you have. But God's word says that you're never tempted beyond what is common, meaning you're not unique. Somebody's already been through it before. And he also says that he's not going to allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, but with the temptation, there's also a way of escape. How do we find the way of escape? Well, we, we look for it. We open our eyes. That's where the voice of wisdom helps us. Wisdom will get us out of all kinds of trouble. I think about Joseph when he was uh, dealing with Potiphar's wife. He was put into some predicaments there that he couldn't avoid. And in the job that he had to do, he was often in her presence. But on that day that she came after him, he didn't linger and try to chat with her. He didn't stick around and try to have a conversation with her. He got out of town. He got out of Dodge because wisdom said, I should not stay here. Now, he still got framed. He still got falsely accused. But when he stood before the Lord, he wasn't guilty. Wisdom gave him the the insight to get out of there. Didn't fall for that temptation. Proverbs paints a pretty bleak picture of those who fail to follow the pathway of wisdom. Thankfully, thankfully though, wisdom isn't just about protecting us from forbidden sin. Chapter 2 gives us some affirmations as well. We understand the pathway of wisdom is one that is filled with promise. It's not all about avoiding evil and fleeing temptations. Look at the promises contained in these last two verses in the chapter. That that you will walk in the way of the good. That you will keep the paths of the righteous. That you will inhabit the land and remain in it. For Christians, we understand this promise of land is bigger than just the geography of Israel. But it's a picture of a reality that we all get to look forward to one day. The pathway of wisdom has an incredible destination in mind. There's an incredible promise that's set before us. The journey is not going to be easy. It will not be free from bumps along the way. But you can be guaranteed that the way of the good and the paths of the righteous is a far better road than the road that is paved by folly. But then again, It's a lot like those giant sequoia trees that I talked about at the beginning. Biologists tell us that one of the reasons that the sequoia trees aren't thriving is because of fire management. It turns out that the trees actually benefit from the occasional forest fire. And even though they are affected by the fire, they are protected by the harshest effects of the fire. Their bark is so thick that that it doesn't affect them. Incidentally, though, you know why these giant trees are prone to fall in strong winds? It turns out that these trees that reach hundreds of feet into the sky have relatively small roots. One thing we know is that the strongest trees have the deepest roots. The same could be said for us. But that takes us out of Proverbs and back to the book of Psalms. Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What's he like? He's like a tree. Planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. 
You see, what the pursuit of wisdom does is it gives us deep roots. But it also helps us to reap not just protection from the fire, but it helps us to reap the benefit of the fiery trial. And it sets us on a pathway and pursuit of holiness and godliness. If you've opened the door of wisdom, it's time to start on the pathway. And you walk down the pathway of wisdom by pursuing the Lord, pursuing his word, and listening to hear from him. Do you pray with me, please? God, I thank you for the wisdom of the ages contained for us in these words. And we understand that Proverbs is just a, a single book in a collection of books that is intended to help us grow in our knowledge of you. God, I thank you that wisdom is, is of course, that doorway that we open by repentance and faith in Jesus, an expression of that fear that we have for the Lord. But that we walk down the pathway, we don't just stay in the doorway. We open our Bibles, we read, we listen, we understand, we ask you to give us insight and understanding. We hear from you in the Word as it's taught, and the words as they're memorized, and the words as we reflect on them. We learn from you as we seek for you, as someone seeking for treasure. So God, I thank you for how you respond to those conditions that you don't hide yourself from us. You make yourself known to us. You tell us everything that we need to know about you. And then there's more to learn for the rest of our lives. And God, there's a destination in mind and we're grateful. So Lord, I pray today that if there's any here in this room under the sound of my voice who have not yet start that journey. They've not yet placed their faith and trust in Christ, that today would be the day that they would understand their sinful condition, that they are dead in their trespasses and sins, but there is an offer of forgiveness extended to them through the person of Jesus, through what he has done, through his shed blood, that if they will receive that gift and respond to it by faith and repentance, they can be saved. Lord, I pray that they'd have the courage in these next few moments to even come to this altar and have that conversation with you. If not here, then that they would find me or one of our pastors and, and, and have that conversation before they leave today. For those of us who are in Christ, who, who we have begun the journey, I pray that we might stay on the pathway, that we would reap the benefits of wisdom as we, as we seek to walk circumspectly in the world, as we seek to avoid the fall of temptation. And God, that we would keep in mind the destination that you've set before us, that we are promised to live long in the land. And it's not this earthly land that we look forward to. It's a heavenly promise, a promise of that heavenly reality. So God, I pray now as we respond to your word, that you would move in our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.